patient. You can be a little patient and like wait for us and like think about us. Um, and I think we're right to be trying to communicate that to people. Now, when it's on the other foot, when like the public safety, public health doctors in the state is saying, don't be, you know, to socially distance and and to, you know, basically do it to protect others. Like we're trying not to get together our regular poker game, not because we all think that we're going to die from coronavirus, but because we know the transmission happens when groups get together and that it's important for us and all of our safety to, you know, and the safety of all my, my dad or other family members to not be doing group activities. So when I saw groups, I was like trying to call it out. So I'm on Garden Highway on a Saturday and I see like coming the other way, like a full group of river riders. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding now, me. Now, let, so me, let, me like, let me break in here. W- were they on the correct side of the road? Yes, they were. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> then you, I don't think it was the River Riders. And welcome, everybody, to the Between Two Wheels podcast, another edition. Uh, this is episode 175. Today, we're going to either have a cerebral, uh, acrimonious conversation, or it's going to dip into Jerry Springer. I welcome on the show Paul Mitchell. Paul, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Of course, I brought some chairs that I can huck around if we start, you know, really getting into it. Well, I have a paternity test. That's the surprise, and and beware. So. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm Dave Callis's dad. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I appreciate you pulling that one out. Um, okay, so um, the, we'll get into you and I, I had a little thing. There was some thing on Twitter back and forth with us. So I thought, hey, let's just bring Paul in. And first of all, you're an interesting person anyway. So. Why don't we, before we get into any controversy, let's get into you. You're a cyclist. You, if people watch on YouTube, shows the background there. You race for Rio Strada. Why don't you give us a, a little intro, a few things, um, how you got into cycling, uh, what cycling is all about for you, and also your personal side, what you do for a living, and you know, kind of go and I'll, I'll interrupt you and, and guide you along mm-hmm. as, as I see fit. So, Sure. Um, well, I was like an asthmatic kid, and I never thought, my joke, my thing I used to say is that I just never had endurance. So, you know, um, I was not athletic. Uh, my late twenties, I started doing some running and started doing some marathons and that kind of changed everything for me. On my 30th birthday, I bought my first bike from Wheelworks in Davis. What kind? And it was like an, it was an over, it was a 58 centimeter Trek 5500, which okay. was full campy version of oh, the Trek bike. Okay. Um, That's the old CLD, right? Yeah. So, but it was like, they were all Shimano, except for this one year, they did like a version for like the tour for whatever team they were sponsoring. And Steve Larson had one of these. And so I bought Steve Larson's, um, who he's passed, but he was like, right. you know, a huge Motorola racer and all that. Um, I bought his old Trek and it was my first bike. And I did a few rides like to winters. And then I saw this thing where they were doing a, midnight century like 100 miles at night and i was like cool and i went and nearly died like (laughs) i thought i was gonna get i thought i was never gonna survive that um and that started me kind of as a cyclist i would do those davis tts you know try to hold 20 miles an hour or something like that on those davis tts um i started doing centuries and double centuries and and then some of my friends kelly and steve and davis uh they uh, got me into the idea of doing a bike race. And I trained for a whole winter just to be able to do, my goal was to finish the July 4th crit. And uh, I did more racing and, and finish, yeah. 
Um, I still, I mean, when I did the Masters one, two, three race last year, I think my goal was still to finish. Well, and, and um, that, you know, people are like, oh, finish. But, you know, if they pull you, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, things can happen. So did you did you finish on your first attempt then? Well, I ended up doing like the early bird crits okay. and I was like, wow, I can actually do this. Right. Like I could move around the Peloton. I could like, ra- I, it was kind of eye opening for me. And um, I'm definitely not like one of these natural born cyclists. I'm a cyclist who has been able to be successful in some races here and there, mostly by cheating. Like I suck wheels. Oh. I sit in. I have one sprint. Legal uh, cheating. I can illegal cheating but like um i'm not one of these like naturally gifted cyclists i'm somebody who just has a passion for the sport um whether it's watching it or um i was just saying that i i i I came to cycling as a fan of watching cycling and uh, i continue to race uh because i love training and i love cycling and uh um you know uh, I'm on Rio Strada. I, I was also on the Davis Masters team for a while. I was my first team was cycling training, which was kind of like a precursor of Rev. Okay. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I just love the sport. So you had you had a health issue a few years ago, I understand. And do you want to uh, get into any of that? Because I think that's sure. that's especially you told me like how it happened, or the when it happened. Um, go ahead. Yeah. So the. Uh, the story is essentially that I um, was on the lunch ride on the, I think it was a Thursday lunch ride. And um, I had had a period where like I had an appendectomy. So I was like off the bike and I was coming back and, and I started trying to do intervals and it felt like shit. And I was like doing group rides and, and I would find myself like looking around at the people who I'm like suffering with and thinking like, I'm just not doing well right now. Um, but I didn't really think much of it. Then I went on a lunch ride uh, with just a normal crew. And I remember Todd Stone was on it and I love Todd. And uh, there was some other dude who was like, you know how every once in a while there are these guys who show up to the, the lunch rides and it's like, they're like some cat one you don't know. Yeah. And some guy bolts off the front like crazy. Todd Stone goes just like absolutely ape to go chase this guy down. And I get on Todd Stone's wheel and I kind of like glide up to the, to this three person group and literally like could not keep pedaling. Like I felt like I was having an asthma attack, but I was still able to breathe. I felt like my heart rate strap was just like way too tight or something. And I kept trying to adjust it. And then I just pulled over and I just started Googling like symptoms of a heart attack. Hmm. Um, what, what made you think that it was, then, a, uh, what, what made you think that oh, this is a heart attack? Cause I mean, uh, you know, uh, just, well, it was almost like everything in my mind told me it couldn't be a heart attack. Yeah. Like you I was like terrifying. waving my arms around, like my arms are still working. Right, right. Like, like I was like, but I was having these anxieties, like a panic attack. And I thought like, well, it's like a heart attack or a panic attack. Does it feel the same? Or I just didn't know what to make of it. So after about 20 minutes of sitting on the side of the road, I uh, kind of rolled to back to Chevy's and, and, um, there was a cop there and he got an ambulance and they took an EKG and they said, you're fine. And I went to um, my doctor the next day and he did an EKG and said, you're fine and, and ordered some blood tests. And then that weekend I was in Portland and I did a spin class and felt the same thing. And I called, told my wife, like something's wrong. And I flew back to Sacramento and did a stress test and 
the cardiologist, um, he's like, yeah, you had a heart attack. Like one side of my, my heart was, had one artery that was 85% blocked and one artery that was 92% blocked. And when they put you in that, you know, I did the stress test and it's always funny doing a stress test when yeah. you're fit because all the techs just laugh at you. Right. You're like, oh, you've been running for 25 minutes. And so they were doing that. They put me in that little thing that spins you around and, and does the clicking. And the first time they did it, it was fine. I did the treadmill. I go back on the little clicky thing. And like, after I came out of the room, not one tech would look at me. They just like gave me like this death stare and like turned away. And I had to go see my doctor and he's like, yeah, like one half of your heart's getting no blood. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so I, I had gone through similar, uh, had some weird issues and, and writing and yeah, you know, the panic, the, the, the ER and you know, they do, they do a test on you. It seems like they're able to see with your blood right away. If you've had a heart attack, did that, um, that did not happen when your initial uh, contact with your doctors before you went up to Portland even? Well, my Jeep, yeah, my GP drew the blood test to do that and sent it off to the lab and was like, Oh, we'll get results next week. Um, but apparently like they put, check the wrong box and I never got like the test that said like that I had that, that traces of the protein or whatever okay. that, yeah. that show that you've had a heart attack. Um, but when I, uh, and this is the doctor, my cardiologist is Larry Wolf's partner. Okay. My Larry Wolf's old, uh, uh, partner is in the cardiology. And so he knew Larry and, um, he knew cyclists, um, which was kind of nice. And, um, he basically said that I, if I was living a normal lifestyle, sitting on the couch, getting maybe at an elevated heart rate, like watching a football game or playing Frisbee or pick up basketball or something like that, that my heart rate at some point would get to like 140 and I would have a heart attack and die. That's what would have, that's like what was supposed to happen with me. But with me as a cyclist, I'm able to get my heart rate up to 180. And when I got it to 180, that triggered the heart attack. But when I slow down in like 30 seconds, my heart rate comes down to 120, right? Because we recover, our heart rate recovers yeah. so quick that I got to a point where my heart could survive and had enough blood to survive at a lower heart rate. But if I had waited a year and never, and that heart rate had hit, that had hit when my heart rate hit 130 or 120, it would never have come down low enough for me to actually recover from it and a, a, avoid actually like a, a deathly heart attack. So, in a, um, so in a way, cycling almost uh, well maybe saved you, I guess, in a sense of, of the yeah, yeah. If I had had a heart attack, you know, a year later, as a normal person, just like playing pickup basketball, you know, that's how most heart, like the number one thing that can cause heart attacks is pickup basketball because guys who don't regularly exercise go out, do like two or three real hard efforts really quick. And then when they, their heart can't like recover down to a rate where it can actually survive. So, yeah, I had a friend who was, you know, same, same, wasn't so healthy, decides to go to the gym and he's on the, the treadmill and he has an episode. And so, of course, he's going to walk it off and, <laughs> you know, they end up uh, calling someone and, 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 you know, whatever. But um, it's, it's obviously a situation where you can't, you can't take it lightly. So what's your current situation right now and what did they because obviously you're back riding your bike what did they end up doing yeah. to alleviate that or to to fix it so to speak so i got i got two stents um i was on blood thinners for a year so i spent like a full year where i wasn't allowed to get my heart rate over 150 hmm. and i would go out on rides with ron johnson on garden highway and i'd sit on his wheel and just like be yelling and i'm like okay five more watts <laughs> like just basically he would ride to my 150 heart rate 
and we would uh i would ride solo and i was just like making do um but the, the, before, you, before you go let me, let me talk to you about that because um I had an issue back in the 90s where um, I went into the hospital. I was, I was racing in Boulder, actually, and living there. And there was something I, I got checked out. And the, oh, I, I remember I come up to my parents' house. They live in the Northwest. Doc, I was sick. Doctor's like, you've got some weird issues with your heart. And he's like, it could be the Len Bias or one of these guys that had just fallen over dead, right? So he scared me. Yeah. And so then I went back home and I got this full mm-hmm. But before I got fully checked out and tested... I would be riding and now you're super, super sensitive to anything that happens. And it's like, is it, is it stopping now? And I, and, but I was still doing some riding. So, I mean, how were you in that situation? Were you just like, is it your heart rate monitor is I'm fine slash dead as there's a a moment there. I mean, what, what kind of freaky riding is going on? And and did Ron have a defibrillator with him? No, he didn't. Um, but the, uh, I think he just yell a bunch of F-bombs at me. That's his, <laughs> okay. that's his version. Um, but, um, uh, I'll tell you, there were physical components and psychological components to this recovery. Um, the physical components were that I couldn't have a crash. Um, cause mm-hmm. if I had a crash, I could have brain bleeding and that could be worse than a heart attack. Like there were issues with the, with the blood thinners I was on. Okay. Um, and then they kind of had this theory that he said was like kind of not really important. that like you just don't want to go too hard and like put too much pressure on these new stents that are in and your whole cardiovascular system like let it breathe for a little while and so um you know i got through that period but still like even like two years later i would get like little weird fluttering chest things like maybe it feels maybe it's just like cartilage you know in my chest or something like that and i would constantly be like oh shit yeah that's a heart attack you know and I know that like at some level, I probably, if I did have another one, I'd be like, oh, I remember how this feels. But right now I don't. Um, and then there was also this like real, like, I don't know if you experienced this, but for me, there was this trauma around feeling like I could have died and feeling like I have this like problem that can kill me. And like, I went through this whole period of a few years and lit- I told people it takes like three years to get over the psychological trauma of it where like I put my daughter to bed and I'm thinking like, uh, this might be the end. Like I'd say things to her, like always remember how dad tucks you in. Right. You know, cause like I always had this fear that like I was going to leave her without a dad. And then I also had emotional stuff around like when I go to Disneyland, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this might be the last time I take my daughter to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And like, these aren't necessarily like rational things, but they were very much a part of my kind of emotional recovery. And, and they still like, drag on me. So, I mean, there was a whole emotional recovery of this thing too, that I think people don't think about when they have a friend who goes through this, you know? Yeah. No, I did not have that because I did not end up, um, you had an actual heart attack. I was, I would say I'm a heart attack scare survivor. It's not an, I, so mm-hmm. those are completely different, right? I mean, I had some, some mental trauma for what it was. And, and when my the initial thing way back in, in, when I was in Boulder was before I had kids and even when you have kids and you're healthy, you start to, the mortality issue comes into your mind a lot more. You, you maybe don't take the risks you do, all those other kind of things. So I get it. Um, any, any indication as to why you suffered a heart attack um, in the first place? I mean, I understand the physical, well, uh, you know, mechanical genetic. sides of it, but why, why you? Well, it's genetics. Okay. Uh, my dad had a double bypass at 30, a triple bypass at 35. Um, he's still alive. He just 
barged in a couple right. seconds ago. He lives with us now because he's got some issues, health issues. And so we're kind of taking care of him. But um, uh, when I was in grad school, I went to like the clinic at USC once and they did like a cholesterol test, just as like part of a physical. And I got this letter from the, from like USC saying, stop what you're doing, change your lifestyle. You're going to have a major heart event in the next 10 years, unless you start exercising. I was running marathons. Stop eating as much red meat. I was vegetarian. Stop smoking. I don't smoke. Cut back on drinking. I don't drink. Like everything they said was something that was not fixable. And they basically, I went in and met with a doctor and they're like, yeah, you have a 300 cholesterol level, 320, 300, 330, that kind of range. And you can start taking statins now and be on statins your whole life. And we don't know if there's a problem with that. We know that what you have is correlated to heart disease and you're going to need to be checked up. So I've been checked up on and I've had tests before, um, but my last test didn't really indicate that I was headed for a heart attack in the next few years. They think that there's something about the proteins and uh, maybe something that triggered uh, in my blood composition, something that triggered like me to have a lot of cholesterol buildup in like a very short window of time of about three years that caused this to really get bad really quick. But um, I might be in a situation where, you know, I have to do a another round of stents in five more years or something like that. It's just a precondition. So you're obviously getting checked, I'm sure, more regularly. And, and yeah, I, I did a stress test like in before all this shit happened, like back in January. And, and this stress test probably went a little bit like I took one, too. And you're right. It's funny because yeah. the doctor's like, OK, I'm, I know my heart rate, you know, like to the number where I'm going to be anaerobic. Uh -huh. And he, you know, he's 10, 15 beats below. And he's like, okay, we're going to try to go here for a little bit. And I'm, my wife was in there and I'm looking over. I'm like, now it's a challenge, right? You, you see old people who are like holding up on this. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was funny, but I'm sure that's more no, like. My, last I, 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 yeah. And I added to it is that I would tell them like, I don't want you to tell me my heart rate. I'm going to tell you my heart rate. Oh, and yeah. so like, as I'm running, I'm like, I'm at 135. And they're like, how do you know that? <laughs> like, cause you know, your body. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was just funny. So, um, yeah, my last one was all clean and no problems. So hopefully I'm good for another few years before I'll, I'll go get a test every year or so. So did you do anything, uh, lifestyle wise? I mean, you said you, you hadn't done, you know, all the, the red meat, the smoking. So are you taking up smoking maybe now, or is it, it's just meds I, and, and clean should. living? Yeah. Vaping. I actually, there's this, Weird thing, there's a, a new drug that came on the market right as I was having my stents put in, and it's a um, injection for cholesterol. Hmm. And so after years of fighting the insurance companies, I finally have like a monthly two injector pens that I get, and I have to stab it into my stomach, and and it um, brings my cholesterol level way down. Like from 330, if I'm on all the statins, it'll come down to like 240, but with this, it'll come down to like 85. So um, it's like an aggressive, aggressively reducing my cholesterol. And I mean, I eat healthy and I don't smoke and I don't drink. I do eat red meat now, though. Okay. Well, well congratulations. Um, so what do you do for a living? Because <laughs> I, I, I understand. I think that's kind of part of all this is, is like um, you do data stuff. But why don't you explain to me exactly what it is? Because I, I just per cursory view of it sounds uh, fascinating. Yeah, so I am uh, the vice president of a company down in LA called Political Data Incorporated. 
And I own a company up here that does redistricting, which is that decennial process of redrawing district boundaries for like okay. legislature, Congress, city council, all that stuff. So I'm kind of like Sacramento's voter data nerd. Um, our company's bipartisan. So I get calls from the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the, the teachers, the, you know, charter schools, uh, unions, whoever it is. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you Google me or whatever, uh, and you take out all the shampoo ads, <laughs> um, you find a lot of, yeah. My, my wife thought it was an interesting conversation on, that we're going to have. So, yeah, um, your hair does look great. I, I question whether you've been out secretly getting haircuts. Um, no, I, as a matter of fact, right before I came up here, I told her, I said, it's getting to the point. I'd got one um, recently, like right before this whole shutdown. It was pretty short. And I told her, I said, um, it's getting to the point where it's it's a uh, it's a problem right now. Is it going to be a hat or or I'm going to have to change the style? So you got the hat on. I see that. And um, I might yeah. my son. Um, he and then the neighbor had a, uh, they were playing basketball and they did a bet and, um, the neighbor lost the bet. So he, it was to shave the head and then my, my son no. lost another one. So he shaved his too. Uh, the neighbor is, um, uh, my age just, <laughs> so anyway, they, they both, wow. uh, my son's 13. Um, anyway, they, um, they both have shaved the heads and that might be my, my next thing. But anyway, sorry to, sorry to derail you here. Oh, I don't remember what we were talking about. Uh, your your job you're doing. Oh, just. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I end up doing a lot of commenting on elections. Um, and so I'll sometimes do like local TV or I was on PBS NewsHour last last election cycle or, you know, podcasts or other things, articles. So I become like kind of an expert on elections. I don't get into like the messaging. People don't mm -hmm. quote me on things about what Biden should say or what Trump should say. But That's I am an expert on like uh, what's going to be the difference in this election if we have to all vote by mail. Or, like what what is the current breakdown of voter turnout? Like what are projections? What polling says? Like I do a lot of the technical stuff. And so whenever you see an article in the paper that says like a poll said this about the voters in California, I probably either cut the voter sample that that pollster used to create that, or I'll find a way to, you know, be quoted in there about something having to do with it. Is that are you mostly concentrated in the Sacramento area, Northern California, or is it the whole state? Well, in terms of media, um, I'll do more TV up here in Sacramento and San Francisco. In terms of radio, I do a lot in LA with like KCRW. Um, and I'll fly down there sometimes to do some radio stuff. In print, it's national. So depending on what happens in like the primary, since it had a lot of national implications, I was spending most of my time talking to reporters on the East Coast. Um, in the general election, nobody's going to care about California. Right. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, right. but um, it's pretty clear who's going to win this state. But there will be state ballot measures and things like that. So it'll be more Sacramento, California stuff. Um, but, but your work. I'm your, not really your, an expert. Your data and your work is. Northern California. Northern California. No, California. Oh, it's California. California. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so any any offhand predictions about since the COVID thing and possibly what we're going to have to do with the election? I mean, uh, you know, 
what's going to happen with voting. And have you, do you have any insight as to the, the mechanisms of that? And if that's not your thing, then maybe you can give me. Yeah, little, that is my thing. Yeah. Give me some details about what the um what what it's going to look like you said hey what's this actually going to look like for voter turnout uh if we do that and you know we look we have a lot of mail out mail in ballots as it is is this going to be much of a, a big issue so um for the first part you're totally right tons of mail voting california in sacramento in sacramento county we're one of five counties in the state that went to like an all vote by mail system with some in-person options like at both centers uh we went to that in 2018. So mm -hmm. we've now had three runs of that, the 2018 primary general and then the 2020. And that's what we're going to have going into San Bernardino, uh, San Diego, um, most of LA that have not previously done like an all vote by mail election. So they're going to have a bigger transition. Then the second part of your question is really interesting because everybody's asking about this, like how is it going to impact the election? And we actually have this special election happening down in LA, uh, LA Ventura, it's a congressional race. And they're having an election right now where turnout seems like it's through the roof. Like turnout is super high, maybe because like everybody's stuck at home. Right. They're actually and, reading like, their mail. The most the most interesting thing I do any given day is go check the mail. Like nice. that's like a thing now. Well, they're looking for I their, used to not check they're the looking mail for their days. unemployment checks or something, right? Or their stimulus. So they're, they're, <laughs> they've got a, an actual legitimate reason to be going. It's a it's a rash it's a justification to go past the driveway, right. you know. Right. And uh, um, but you know, so it's there's going to be two impacts in this election, or maybe three. One is kind of organic. The excitement about the election, the frustration people are having with elected officials and with our government, maybe the response to this COVID stuff. That's more of the organic piece. Then there's the mechanical piece of the kind of like all vote by mail and what that turnout's going to be and the system that they're going to use for it. And then the third is like, are we going to be on a stay at home or modified stay at home in November if there's another spike? Right. And if so, like are voters just going to be sitting with this vote by mail ballot on their counter for staring at them for weeks? Um, and we might have a really huge turnout. Probably will. So uh, maybe maybe this doesn't pertain to California, but uh, Justin Amash just got in as a third party, and they're trying to get ballot mm -hmm. access in a few different states. I think they're only on like 30-some states. So there's a problem without going out and getting signatures. I, you, maybe you can tell me if he's even got ballot access here. Probably does. Uh, but what do you think that's going to be as far as trying to even get – um, someone like like them in maybe in other states, but a situation that we're in of trying to get ballot access for these other uh, third parties that may not have it, and they're trying to get signatures. Well, so the national stuff is really challenging. Um, first off, nationally doesn't we're just, in California, we're in a position where eighty percent of our state is doing vote by mail mostly, so we're pretty much okay. In the rest of the country, there's states that have, don't allow vote by mail unless like you have an excuse, like I'm disabled or I can't leave the gotcha. house or something like that. Um, so they've got problems with their elections. You also have problems, like you mentioned, with signature gathering. Like right now in California, there's a bunch of ballot measures that were planned for the November general that might not actually get on the ballot because you can't go stand outside of Target and collect right. signatures now. Um, that's going to be a challenge. Candidates running for office in November are already asking like, hey, we have to turn in our signatures by August. How are we going to get signatures turned in for this election? So that part of it is going to be a challenge. And then this other issue you're talking about is like if Justin Amash gets on the ballot, 
what states are going to have him on the ballot or not in the general election. He'll be fine in California if he gets on the ballot, um, but he might have to have legal fights to get on ballots in other states. And then there's this far remote possibility that in some states, if they can't get their act together on vote by mail and make for safe elections, that they could revert in some states to the old way of doing it, which as you might remember is that not in our lifetimes, but in old timey days, the state legislatures selected the electors to go to right. DC to vote for president. And we could have some states like fail to be actually be able to perform their election in November and have to have some alternative way for them to send electors. And in states that are divided by, you know, Republicans and Democrats, you're not going to see Justin Amash getting electors no. in those states. And, you and, know? And, and just as a clarification, he's not the actual nominee of the Libertarian Party. And I was just saying he's kind of made a little bit more of a splash in, in another third party. So um, very interesting. Yeah. What is your what is your educational background to to be Mr. Data Miner on this? All this? Um, so I did my undergraduate and graduate stuff in uh, economics and public policy. Um, I had one point that I was going to go to law school, um, but I just didn't enjoy those classes really as much and decided I didn't want to spend three years in those kind of classes. I became more of an economics focus. Uh, So when I got into Sacramento and doing politics, I've done like working in the legislature. I've done being a chief of staff. I've done working at a committee. I've run a political action committee. I've been a consultant. And really in the last 10 years, I focused mostly on doing this data stuff. And part of it has to do with my wife who is a lobbyist and she was a lobbyist. Um, And when she was trying to lobby and I'm trying to run political campaigns, there was this conflict. Yeah. And we realized that like, she's getting yelled at by legislators uh, about what I'm doing politically. And so, when I go into like being everybody's data consultant, nobody really hates me in politics. So everybody kind of knows me, but I don't have like a confrontational work. And so my wife can do her job. I can do my job. We're both in the same circles, but I am not causing her problems. She's not causing me problems, you know? Yeah. Is your uh, company, uh, are they, are you impacted on your, for your work with COVID about being restricted? Or I'm, I imagine you're, you know, you're, you're working for one party or another doing some stuff. So you're still out there doing your thing from your home and you're probably still having clients, right? So it's probably not much of an impact, I would hope. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with people who do data, it's really not impacted. I've been working remotely off of a computer in LA for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and uh, I do a lot of work from home or I sit at Temple and I work at the coffee shop all day long. Which Temple? Um, and well, I used to be the one on S Street until okay. they opened the one on K with the pennies. Right. And then that was my normal one because that's where I lived, right near there. And now I'm at the one in Arden out by um, Fair Oaks. Fair Oaks, you know, like down Fair Oaks. Yeah. That's closer to where I live now. I, I, so you hang out there with Dave a lot? Oh, Kels and I, like every morning. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, he likes to... He likes to watch obscure Belgian races and then yell at me who won it so that it ruins me it for me the rest of the day. Because um, I, I go by there every once in a while. I'll stop there in the morning on um, my way if, if I'm going to court down in um, Power Inn. And, you know, Dave and I, I see him every once in a while. I don't think I've seen you, so I'll, I'll be looking for you in there. Or you just didn't notice me. I'm usually a couple of seats down from Dave. I'm always there. Okay. Well, um, maybe, maybe yeah. Dave's just Next too big time. of a personality. Oh, no, Dave just it, it takes over the whole room. I mean, it's uh, 
but yeah, I'm the I'm the one with my face in the computer. So now you've had to resort to working at home then. So are, are you getting out on your bike much right now? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I've been doing a ton of riding. Um, I've been doing long Saturday rides up around the Rhino and. Uh, What's your uh, best time up there? And been going out garbage. Okay. Uh, I don't even know what my best time is. I can tell you my best effort was like 240 watt average for the whole thing or something like Good. that. Like, you know, I'm, like I said, I suck. You almost had a heart um, attack, right? Uh, you know, just make yeah. Sense. I mean, come on. That's, that's what I tell people when they beat me. I was like, ah, I just, I'm a fucking heart attack. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but, um, uh, yeah, it's not my forte, but I love doing it. Like I'm not good at the climbing stuff, but when I travel, I love to take my bike. I love to do long climbs. I love, you know, I, my, I spent a week on Mallorca, like some of the oh. best stuff I've ever done is just like bitching long climbs and I love it. But like I go out with like Jeff Black or something like that and he's just like casually riding and I'm dying. So it is what it is. Yeah. You know, uh, and I'm going to re- the next episode before I release this one, I actually just talked to Nate Dunn yesterday and he's a uh, whole philosophy yeah. about trying to get yourself in a, in a mode of riding where you uh, enjoy it and right up to that point of, of it being annoying so that you're getting the most out of your training. Uh, I, I mean, it sounds like you're just talking about your perspective and just loving it and stuff. So it sounds like you're pretty much in that range. Do you push yourself um, to the point where, you know, for racing and whatever else you have, are you, are you ever concerned now about the heart? Uh, you know, that you're, or do you feel that you're in a good spot? Yeah, no, it's, it's in a way I view it not as a heart problem, but as a plumbing problem, okay. you know? Yeah. And as long as the doctors tell me that the plumbing's okay, then it's not like it's some elevated heart rate. It's going to blow up. Yeah. It's not like other people's heart problems that might be more aligned with like, you're not supposed to be at a high heart rate for some reason. I, um, so I feel comfortable with that. I love training. Um, I love intervals. I love pushing myself. I love like getting to that point where like, you feel like you strip mind yourself. You've just done so many hard intervals. Um, and so like, I love going out on garden highway and just like, by myself doing intervals. So oftentimes the guys on the lunch ride will see me cause I'm going the other way doing intervals. Um, and I love that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it's part of it for me is just the, uh, it's just the, the, that kind of like full on effort. And, and then I love winter training, which is funny too. Like so many people now they do the trainers indoor. I love like getting out in the goddamn cold, doing like a five hour ride, I joke that I race so that I have a justification to train in the winter. Good. Like, I just love that stuff. Did, did you grow up in Sacramento area or where did you grow up? LA, Glendale. Okay. So, well, so, so the, and the my, what's funny is my brother was the cyclist. My brother like had a Bianchi. He was friends with Alan Lim. Yeah. Isn't that his name? The I, guy that, yes. Or, yeah. So Alan used to hang out at my house when we were kids. Oh, funny. Um, he hung out with my brother and played video games and then they rode bikes. And Alan hung out fact, at my house in Boulder a, when we, we rode for the University of Colorado together. So that's funny. So I ran into Alan on the crest uh-huh. uh, doing a bike ride and we chatted about my brother. And then he wrote an article like two weeks later for like Bicycling Magazine talking about how when he was a kid, the interval training was like, let's play video games then let's go cry, ride crazy and then let's, let's eat a bunch of junk food. And like that was my brother that he was talking about. So that's funny. Kind of funny. Yeah, uh, it, he had a brother, you know. Yeah. Uh, Al, he had a brother who was also a racer. 
Yes. Um, and and the SoCal Cycling, they have a podcast and they had talked to, I think, either Alan or the brother, something about that. Um, I wasn't like best friends with him. One of my, my roommates was really good friends with him. So, um, but, and I was always proud to see him kind of take off. And, and that did you, my point of asking you where you're from was if you're out and you're loving the, this bad weather, like I grew up in the Northwest and, you know, you go ride and then was in Colorado for a long while. If you're riding, you want to ride and the trainers indoor were much worse then. Um, you know, you had to go out and, and brave the cold. We'd have our bottles get frozen and all kinds of stuff. I mean, and now I'm oh, really totally, much, yeah. I'm like not doing it, but you're, you're kind of yeah. changed the other direction. But I also like, I have to admit, like my wife likes going to Mexico. So we'll go down to <laughs> Tulum yeah. and I'll ride my bike down there for a week and a half. Like, you know, doing long rides down there. I love traveling with my bike and doing, you know, winter stuff like that too. So, it's maybe softened me up a bit. Oh, that's that's good. Um, okay, so let's let's get into the salacious stuff going on here. Um, I made a comment uh, in my last show. Now, look, um, I will say this right up front, and, and you can take it for what it's worth. But uh, there was, it was tongue in cheek, and I don't have a problem with with the reaction. But I don't know how much you want to get into what was posted on the River Ride. Um, situation, but I'll play a clip of my comment here and I'll let you comment about that. But maybe you want to set the scene because I don't want to put anything in your mouth. Why don't you set the scene as to what happened on the, on, you were out in the, the garden highway or something out there and you saw some people. So you set the scene of what your situation was, what your perspective was, lay it out as well yeah. as you can. And then I'll play my, my shitty take. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't want to back up to the very beginning, but, okay. uh, I'll just say that once this thing started, um, when I started seeing like teammates posting like, hey, three of us are meeting at Guy West, let's go on a group ride. I would put a post like three is too many, like go ride your bike, like ride single or ride like solo next to each other so that like the germs are going behind you, like whatever people are saying is safe, but don't, don't draft, don't have groups of three, don't put on Facebook like we're going to be doing a group ride. And definitely don't like go out and like, be like, oh, Rio Strada is putting together like a secret group ride. Yeah. It's like that's, that makes the team look bad. That is not good behavior. It's what authorities are telling us isn't safe. So stop doing it. And then like I'd be on the bike path and I would see guys in groups and I would just throw my arms up and be like, uh, too many guys. I'd like yell at them. Too many people. No group rides. Um, I even at one point like posted, even calling out my own team. Like I posted on Twitter, like I'm disappointed to see a group of three Rio Strada riders and a group of like eight Mike Spikes riders out riding on the bike path in groups. And Mike Spikes responded like it wasn't our actual team, but it was, it was guys in like Mike Spikes kit. Right. And I just feel like we as cyclists get very, and I think for the right reasons, get very upset and self-righteous about protecting our safety and what, drivers do and what others do, whether it's people with long leashes on their dogs at the bike path or, or it's, you know, uh, out on garden highway, like I had a guy buzz me on Metro park and I got video of him, like telling me to go to hell and look, throwing a bunch of bad words at me. And like, uh, I remember one time we were out on the river ride and some dude walks out with a huge pipe crossing the road and Mike Sayers nearly like killed the guy. Um, there's all these instances, like even Brian Larson with that big gulp cup, somebody threw a big gulp cup at him, you know, and he got it on video. There's a bunch of things that happen to cyclists where we're trying to tell the public and we're trying to tell drivers, like, be patient for a second. Don't pass the group ride 
when it's not safe on a blind corner. Understand that like our health and safety is important and you can be a little bit of patient. You can be a little patient and like wait for us and like think about us. Um, and I think we're right to be trying to communicate that to people. Now, when it's on the other foot, when like the public safety, public health doctors in the state is saying, don't be, you know, to socially distance and, and to, you know, basically do it to protect others. Like we're trying not to get together our regular poker game, not because we all think that we're going to die from coronavirus, but because we know that transmission happens when groups get together and that it's important for us and all of our safety to, you know, and the safety of all my, my dad or other family members to not be doing group activities. So when I saw groups, I was like trying to call it out. So I'm on Garden Highway on a Saturday and I see like coming the other way, like a full group of river riders. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding now, me. Now, so let, me, let, me like, let me break in here. W- were they on the correct side of the road? Because Yes, they were. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> then you, I don't think it was the river riders. They, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, when it's eight, you know, I, it, it, I, we can have a whole different conversation about center line. Yeah, right. Um, I'm not center line police, by the way. I've never okay. posted a video attacking everybody crossing the center line. Right. Um, but uh, when I saw that, I took a picture and I got home and I posted on Facebook. Like, I didn't name anybody, but I posted on Facebook. Like, who's dumb enough to be going out riding the group ride right now, or something like that, and riding the river ride right now? This is ridiculous. Um, and, uh, Chris Dawson, who's a friend of mine, um, also posted a picture, like at the same time on Facebook, we did it independently. He had a picture he took of the group and he's like, come on guys, like we shouldn't be doing this. Um, that started a bunch of back and forth on this, this thread and, um, you know, people kind of being frustrated with that. It, it eventually came to like, somebody posted something like, you know who those people are, Paul. Like, I guess they were trying to insinuate there was a real Strata writer on there. And I was like, I don't know who's on there, but I know who's got Strava posts. And I put the names of people at Strava posts. I probably shouldn't have done that. But those Strava posts were the river ride. Like people, like somebody on Facebook saying, oh, that wasn't the river ride. It's like, oh, really? Because like on my casual rides, I love to ride through the airport and sprint for city limit lines. Like that was the river ride. Maybe. Like, ridiculous not to call it the river ride. Um, I think that there's this small minority of people who are like really angry about it. But I think most other people are willing to accept the fact that we have to, for right now, change our behavior. The What Jason's done with the TT is just, I think, right. been an awesome thing that we should focus on and celebrate. Um, and the fact that so many riders I see that are regular group riders that are out on the bike path riding solo or posting long rides or doing that kind of stuff, we should just 99% of what the cycling community is doing, I think, is right. Um, I do think we should self-regulate um, how we're out there and riding, not just because we, as a sport, could be like spreading the virus and, and causing transmission, but also because people see these bikes out on Garden Highway and those, those, the people who live out there, the people who drive out there, those are the people we're asking them to be like socially conscious and to be caring about our health and safety. And now that the position we're in is that we can just not do group rides and that's how we can help other people's safety and health that we should be doing that. 
Okay, so let me let me ask you a quick question because um, I do uh, the Coffee Republic ride, which you know group rides are, are shut yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I I I've done it the last two weekends solo. I mean, that's maybe just as dumb as riding okay. through the airport, um, but from my house. Um, but I'm doing it solo, so my my ride titles uh, say CR on there like they they do. Um, yeah. So it's not so bad. And just clarification for people, maybe you can make this is it's not that the, these guys are doing the river ride route. I mean, if they were doing it solo, you wouldn't no. have had you wouldn't have given it F, right? No, it's great. Dennis Baker posted, you know, Saturday river ride on Saturday. And uh, but when you looked, he was by himself and he was, you know, he took a picture of himself crossing the sprint line. And, and that's great. I think that riding is part of being healthy and being healthy is a part of us being protected against, you know, having strong immune systems and being happy and helping our, us psychologically. Um, and uh, yeah, we shouldn't be, but there are people I think who probably, I did see somebody post like uh, they named their ride four Republicans go do the Coffee Republic ride, well, like the first weekend. We're not, we're not gonna, that was not we, we all know somebody who riding is. solo. Okay. And I can, uh, and, and I, I, we'll get into this, but may, uh, maybe, and you don't necessarily have to answer this now, but um, I would be interested in your, your take. Why do you think that this has become um, such a divisional political issue? In other words, you know, the red and, and blue are kind of both taking but weird... Are weird stand i say weird um to some extent both of them um but it's it's maybe it's more weird that it's it's falling in these in these directions any any insight uh, or have you done any polling on this what's really funny is i am working with pollsters on this uh, but i don't have anything really to tell you about uh it yet it's something that stuff that's still in the field but um it is so weird to me that this is a partisan issue i just it is crazy to me that it's a partisan issue um, and, uh, I just can't imagine what would be happening right now if there was a Democrat in the white house telling us to do all this stuff. Like, I don't know how much deeper that partisan divide would be. Um, it shouldn't be a partisan issue. It shouldn't be a political issue. I do get that for some people with like a libertarian bent, and I would even say from your comments that you have maybe more of a libertarian bent on this. And you said things like, you know, People go do what you want to do or do what you feel like doing or whatever. Um, but I don't think that like fighting a pandemic and libertarianism kind of coexist really well. Um, in a way, there's that theory about like uh, your ability, your right to extend your fist. It goes as far as to where it hits my nose, right? Um, and that is what's happening with this. Like your freedom to go out and ride is something we should all support to the point where you might be contributing negatively to everybody else's health and safety. And why we have a Democrat-Republican divide on this is just beyond me. Um, I do know some of the people that have been involved in those protests are this weird mix of like really conservative, maybe conspiracy theory-ish kind of Republicans and then like anti-vaxxers. Right. And like a bunch of really hardcore left Marin, you know, rich white lady anti-vaxxers. It's just a weird mix. But um, yeah, I can't explain really why it's such a partisan thing. It shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't. And I, I would actually take a, um, a little bit about because um, a lot of this is if you were, if we had a, for sure, we knew all facts like uh, things have changed. You know, don't wear a mask, wear a mask. 
asymptomatic. And now the who has just come out, the who, um, has just come out and said, um, a new album. Yeah. Right. Right. I would, you know, Rolling Stones did a new one and it wasn't okay. Um, uh, basically saying, Hey, we're, we're not really showing any asymptomatic, uh, transmission, right? So there's, things are changing all the time. So, uh, with that in mind, I don't know that the, the libertarian stance, you need something to push back on um, your team, you know, the, the, the red team, the, white, the, the, the blue team are, are, are set. And I think that's where you get a lot of this. So civil liberties still mean something. Right. And I think there's still a, sure. a place for that to be to be said. Now, um, does that mean we need to have go start the boogaloo now? No, obviously not. Uh, so I, with that said, okay, so let me play the clip that I, that I shot off and then I'll let you, um, uh, respond to, and I'll, I'll even post up what you t- tweeted and, um, you, you can, uh, first of all, let me, let me go back to what, um, what you, uh, what you had your explanation. I find that much. And look, this is why I was not going to get into it with you on Twitter or even necessarily a text. I'm like, this is a, this is a much better forum in a sense for us to have, uh, and it, it's nuanced. I actually believe what you saw out there and your, your point of view is, is, is much different than how I initially set, saw it. Okay. And maybe you've matured over the, the time, maybe you've changed it a little or massaged it. Um, but I, I think what you're actually saying is probably what you were thinking at the time. It didn't necessarily come across that way. Um, I'll also say this, um, when, when I, when I, the clip we have here, my political philosophy, my personal philosophy is actually much more in line with what you did than um, what other people have been doing, which is, uh, you know, there's a report line, you're, you're reporting people to the police, pu- uh, publicly shaming, so to speak, or putting people in perspective of, of what it does on a public stance, I think actually can have more benefit and, and lead people to, you know, different points of view better than, um, than the force of the gun. So anyway, um, do, any comments there before I, I play the clip? No, I did. I did have a prominent person in the cycling community say he was calling the police on them. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what you do. No. So, uh, but yeah, that's, it, it did get really polarized. But let me let me ask you this because you said it's it's in uh, it's 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 against Gavin Newsom's health restrictions or what have you. So if is I mean there is a chance that if these people are are doing something uh, that is against his his orders um, that they could be arrested. Is that correct? I mean, what if the the overzealous police wanted to take a look yeah, at what so, was going on in Facebook? You know, and and people are called out. So. Um I mean, theoretically, if there were people who were out there, like with an illegal dance club, right? There was a dance club in Berkeley somebody put together. Dancing, what was like, this? Footloose. Arrested. Yeah. Then there's uh, the the pastor who has been trying to like hold services, right. and they threatened him with being arrested. Um, there have been, you know, other cases I think where people are doing like group activities, and they've been told that nobody's been like getting arrested except for protesters. Um, so I don't think there was really a, a risk that anybody's going to get arrested, but um, the health orders do say you're not supposed to be doing these kind of group activities. Like, and it might be a long time. That's the other thing about this. Like I was waiting to do this taping until after, you know, the governor's orders yesterday, I thought it was convenient for us to at least get the update. Um, but nowhere in what he's talking about, are we expected to be able to do like, as an example, pick up basketball games. And I think that's what a group ride is most akin to. Once they start allowing pickup basketball games, then that means they're allowing people to do like a contact sport, groups of five or 10 people 
and you know that more risk of, of, of transmission. Um, once they say we can do pickup basketball games, I think that's akin to saying we can do group rides again. That could be January. That could be February. That could be mid next year. We might not have racing until a, a, a vaccine comes out. I mean, we don't know where this is headed. He could come out in two weeks and say, okay, go do your group activities and we'll be fine and all out on the river ride and I'll be excited. He might say, you know, we might be in a situation where we're not doing this for a year. Um, d- does any of it bo- uh, concern you that um, there are restrictions on what we can do, um, but that the science seems to be, I mean, it's a novel coronavirus. We're not, we're still not understanding it, that the science seems to be continually changing and that we're getting edicts from, you know, Gavin and whomever else uh, that tell you, you know, yeah. if they say, look, you can't do this today. And then the very next day, well, you can, then m- maybe there's some massaging as to what the reality is from this. And, and just as a person that does yeah, data, I mean, I is any of this concerning to, to you? I think we need to be flexible with these changing orders. Like as an example, you mentioned the mask thing. Part of the reason they said don't wear masks was because they didn't want to put more pressure on the healthcare industry trying to get masks. They didn't want masks to be like toilet paper where everybody's rushing out to go buy masks. And so they said, don't do masks because like we need to preserve those masks for the healthcare workers. Once they started to have proof that you could use a bandana or something else as like a homemade, they started to push people towards doing that to try to, you know, cut down transmission. So how many lives lives were possibly lost by, by saying that then? Well, I mean, God, there's so many, you could say that about so many things right. that have that have been in this process. Um, I mean, we don't need to go critique everything that's coming out of the White House no. press conferences. And we're supposed to be drinking bleach on Monday and right. then hydrochloroquine and, and like all these other things. It's been a mess. Um, and and by the way, that's why my I initial think- thing was to you, you know, we had had a discussion a few weeks ago about the hand washing. Um, don't take it from. Oh Ga- yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our that was our first reaction. That was our first. Uh, was don't a, yep. don't yeah. take it from Gavin. Um, don't take it. F- and and by the way, have you have you wa- every time you've washed your hands since then, have you counted to twenty? You haven't missed a time. Oh no, I think the I want to ride my bicycle by Queen. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he said. But have you missed a, have you missed a time of not washing your hands properly? What's funny is that not washing your hands became a lot less important when you're not going out. So I've barely been out except for bike rides. And so I wash my hands when I come home from, uh, like if I do go to a store or something like that, I wash my hands or I wash my hands after I get the Instacart delivery and unpack the groceries. But washing your hands 20 times a day was really a prescription for when we thought we'd be still going to stores all the time and being out on the street and touching handles and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I guess maybe one of the things where we differ in terms of our viewpoint is that I'm been very much like whatever the current thing is, that's what I'm going to follow. And the fact that it's changing doesn't like rile me. It doesn't cause me to be like maybe more suspicious about the rules at all because they're changing. Um, there might also be like that I do have different channels. Like um, I can hear what the governor's saying or I can hear what's coming out of the White House. And I can also, my wife is, you know, CEO of a healthcare company. And so I talked to her and she tells me what to do a lot of the time, if it wouldn't shock you. Um, so um, we just roll with it. You know, I, I feel like that's what we have to do because it's a novel virus. Like you said, rules are going to change. They're not going to know, you know, the, the view on when is it symptomatic? When is it not? Even like now, 
there's like 15 cases of kids getting really horrible diseases as a, as a result of this. And something that they don't understand is happening in Europe and has been happening in New York, um, which points to that strain of the virus may be causing kids from ages two to 15 to have like really crazy symptoms in large, like, arteries and things like that like well that I, I i think I, I if it's the same thing that you were uh you're re- referencing there's something new out. i think i read today and it was they couldn't pinpoint that it was from covid but there were all these symptoms diarrhea blah 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 so once again i'm i'm a skeptic it's all evolving it's all right. evolving yeah okay all. let me let me play this clip and then i want you to um have at it and, and let me know where where shit went wrong here whoops that, that, that's appropriate. Do you hear that? Okay. That was good. Some people were out doing some group writing and um, some people decided to call them out. Uh, not only just social shame them, list them out, calling out their Strava. Uh, eh, who's who's up for that? Who's uh, who's not up for that? Uh, not a big fan myself, but you know, hey, if you want to you want to do that, um, I guess more power to you kind of says something about who you are if you're if you're is it a snitch uh, possibly um it's weird to me that people feel it necessary i know i know this has gone on throughout history you know there's rules in place people need to be reported uh and frank wrote a whole book about it didn't she don about people snitching on people like that um maybe <laughs> maybe i'm a little too extreme uh so be Okay, so th- there's the there's the whole whole enchilada, and um, and I'm gonna put up your tweet here, what you had uh, shared with everybody. And you can you see that? Yeah. Okay. Oh, there, yeah, yeah, there we go. There you go. And and look, you put you put Will Ferrell a gif in there, so we know we know, we know it's uh, damning, right? So you said so. The latest B2W exactly. podcast compared the guys who continue to do group rides against the state health orders to Anne Frank and the quote snitches who have called them to those who gave up her hiding place when, of course, she was sent to a concentration camp and murdered. Um, and then you you did some more. Um, tweets that, that follow along there that actually uh, were modeled to exactly what you had you had said about cars and some other things. Um, when I read the other additional tweets, I was like, oh, this seems to be changing. Now, I'm telling you this, this is a situation that um, happened in, with some other friends of mine in another place too. And, and it's happened here. I would, if I could recall some of that, it would be that I used the word snitches. Okay. And, and I don't think that that's um, helpful at all. You may not like the, the Anne Frank thing and have you, you said you've listened to this. I, I hope you, I don't know, if you think I'm being calling you Nazi. And I'll just say one more thing and then I'll let you say anything you want on this. Um, actually, just go ahead. Um, why don't you respond to that, that ludicrous statement? That ridiculous. Well, you know, uh, so my experience of listening to this was, uh, what's funny is maybe one time it was my birthday and uh, on the Monday prior, I listened to your podcast and I'm literally doing that route up to the Rhino. And I'm going up to the Rhino and I hear the shorter version of this statement because in the prior podcast, you had also said, oh, and go ride your bike or, you know, don't or just don't be a snitch. Right. And I heard that and I was like, oh, shit, you just called me out. Like, I, at, I just, at that point, um, I, had, I had no clue of the, the, that you were mixed into any of this. So just so you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then the snitch thing came up again in this one. And again, I was on the ride to the rhino. So don't ride the uh, rhino pulled over. I know every time I I get called out. Um, so I, I, I pulled over and I did think like, 
holy God, like apparently these guys are the equivalent of uh, Anne Frank. Like it was more about you elevating them to being these victims of like, like they're being persecuted by the, the laws that are so unjustly causing them this horrible, you know, oh my gosh, you can't do group rides. Like if that's the greatest oppression that you have in your life, like you need to check yourself. Right. Like this is not a big deal that you have to ride Zwift for a period of time or ride solo or figure something else out. Like be patient, think about other safety, you know, the same thing we're asking of everybody else on the road and, um, and let's just chill and not do group rides. But it was the fact that you were like elevating them to like this mythical, like, uh, you know, uh, character in our history of somebody who was grossly persecuted and, and that the people on the other side were the snitches. Um, so, I mean, that was my perspective and why I called it out. And, and I don't think that I, I listened to the entire rest of the podcast. I still like the podcast. Okay. Maybe we can talk um, about the Semper Poro issue after this, but, uh, um, so let me, oh let my me, God. What, what's, what's interesting you need to have Matt Axford on for that. Uh, you, you spoiled my insider. I already talked to him. Um, so, uh, the, what's interesting though, is we have, and, and my, Dear God, if I thought I was uh, making them victims, uh, you know, I definitely uh, maybe I don't think about that in, in those terms. My issue is more along the lines of, and I've seen it in my own community here of people that uh, you know give you the look, and then they're they're doing things on Nextdoor app, and and it's uh, I'm always worried about the the and, and and it was interesting to me how you were and I'm going to use these words because I don't know what else to say it publicly shaming someone, and then you were upset that I was publicly shaming someone anonymously or you anonymously. Uh, but I, I get a little concerned about uh, maybe the overreach and, and that's some of my mentality uh, always and continuously. Um, are there are there laws or situations you don't feel confident um, calling people out on? I mean, is, is it, you said before, I just, you know, the governor or whoever is making these orders. So I'm following along. I mean, there's got to be situations that you just laws for oh, yeah. your safety that you're just oh, not totally. going to call people out on, right? Perfect example. I'll never call anybody out for rolling a stop sign. I'll never call anybody out for blowing stop signs. The reason being that I disagree with that law. And in fact, I've, I've talked to legislators and worked on potentially doing a law that would get us more like Iowa, where you can, Idaho Iowa, stop. where we can do the rolling stops. Uh, yeah. So I have actually talked to legislators about trying to fix that law. And when the Sacramento Bee did an, an article years ago, somebody did something like, I think it was like Dan Walters or something like that, attacking it. I literally like wrote the editor of the B and I was like, you need to understand cyclists are rolling stop signs because they're afraid of their safety and the cars behind them. When a car rolls a stop sign, it's because they're trying to get somewhere fast. Right. They're trying to take, and there's polling on that. There's polling on the distinction between why people are doing it. If I'm rolling a stop sign, it's because I'm afraid of my safety and I'm doing something to put my, I've taught my daughter to roll stop signs because I want her to be safer from the cars behind us. And that's that's your judgment so, uh, that your your behavior is safer than than the law. Which personally, as a nullification type of person, that's that's not a big deal to me. But what about the guys? And and I'll just premise all this. Um, we social distance. I'm working from home, even though it doesn't look like I am. Um, I'm not riding in groups. I'm doing all that stuff because I just don't actually know what the situation is. So I'm being a little bit cautious and, you know, the courts are closed and, and I'm kind of forced to, to be here with the family. Uh, so with that said, um, you are, I mean, is there, is there a problem 
other than that these guys were, were deciding to to make this uh, you know crossing the center line isn't is probably perhaps more dangerous than the than this COVID thing. I mean, we're taking chances. You you have a, a recent heart attack. Uh, but okay, crossing the center line, crossing the center line, crossing the center line is dangerous to you, you know. And um, and if it's if you're doing something dangerous to the group, the group calls you out. There is no shortage of social shaming for people who chop you in corners or people who, who break through turns or people who do unsafe things on rides. People get called out every race when they do things that are dangerous to others, right? Most people in our cycling community don't feel like crossing the center line is really that dangerous to others. Like you're the one over there, uh, not me. And there will be some like policing of center line stuff, but that's, you know, it's situational. But like, it's funny that like, I called out a bunch of river, river riders, um, but like there's a lot of calling out that happens in group rides. We all know who gets yelled at for like violating the norms and making people more unsafe. The difference on like the rolling a stop sign is if somebody took a video of me and said, hey, Paul's rolling a stop sign, look at Paul. I would respond like, yeah, I roll a stop sign and here's why it's safer. And this is why I do it. And I'm not gonna delete my Strava. Or I'm not gonna like be secretive about it. That's what I do. And I'm actually trying to like effectively change the law if I can. Um, there's not the similar situation with people going out and doing the group rides. It is more dangerous to the public if people who are in a poker group get together on Thursdays and still play poker in person. It is more dangerous to the community of people who are playing Mahjong still get together or people who are in a pickup basketball group. I've got a friend whose kid just got accepted to Stanford on a full ride scholarship and he's home alone playing basketball by himself. He can't do pickup basketball games right now, even though he's going to be a future NBA player and it's, impacting him negatively to not be able to train with a group. And, um, and so it's a, it is something group writing is basically akin to going with 10 of your friends and making out with all of them and then going home to your families or going to a coffee shop and potentially being a vector for the disease. And we shouldn't be doing it. And then on top of that, when we do do it, in public, we are sending a message to the people who are seeing us that we don't care about their safety. We don't care about their health. And these are people who we count on to care about our health. The other, you know, 99 out of every, every hundred years when there isn't a pandemic. So, uh, don't, no problem with any of that. Um, my, I, and I just like to push back as always. Um, that's your that's cool. understanding of the health as we know it right now. Right. You could be yeah. wrong. Right. I mean, there could be we come out and it's like, you know, and and then, by the way, I'm not going to compare to uh, to to Sweden because I think they're a different country. They, they're known to, you know, you want to do herd mentality. You're not going to close things up. Those people are very much the, the kind that the government says, but we prefer you not to go out. They're not going to go out. I don't I don't know what the situation. So I'm not going to make a big comparison. But You there. can compare to Sweden. You can okay. compare to Sweden because they have a huge death rate right now. Like right, so nobody pointing to Sweden as a good but, example anymore. Okay, but but in the long term, right? Maybe they. I mean, once again, I, I'm saying you know you're the data man. Sure. Let's find out if we're going to have because I think there's going to be a, a relapse or, or a second wave of this. That's definitely going to be the case. So do you? I, and once again, I'm just I'm just saying these things. So let me ask you. So this would this is in, it's kind of a hypothetical. I was thinking of. Um, 
and maybe it doesn't work at all and you shoot it out as, as well as you want. Trump, he says, look, um, MS-13, they're too dangerous. We're closing the wall. Uh, you must report, you know, he's got jurisdiction to uh, deal with immigration. Um, you know, you must report anybody that illegal aliens. Matt, or someone of your friends is is hired an illegal alien next door. And you're like, hey, this, this probably person. Matt. Yeah, yeah, probably Matt, right? <laughs> um I'm going to, am I going, are you going to post that? I mean, that's, that's a law that's there for the safety of others. So that this, and, and, and by the way, I'm just saying it's, it's a, it's someone you probably disagree with. I mean, so there are people out there that don't necessarily. And, and so the, the question to you is, or is that someone that you were going to report? I mean, you're, you're talking about rolling the stop signs. Yeah, so you're always picking laws. Right? I'm, yeah. I'm a chronic snitch. Okay. So when, when the guy on Metro Park brushed me on a bike ride and I got video of him, I went to the police. And when the police didn't act well enough, I went to the city council and I tweeted it. And the ABC7 did a whole segment on it. And finally, I got this guy to be in a situation where, like, the police were at his door and threatening to arrest him and making him, like... So, I'm sorry, what happened? So, me being a snitch... It's actually... I could send you a link to it, but yeah, no, there's this just... whole thing where this guy pulled me over... Or this guy, this guy brushed me on Metro Park. Oh, okay. And I did my arms up in the air, like, what the fuck? And he was in the car. He gotcha. does a, and he breaks and he like start yelling at me through his window. So I started recording him and he's like, sure, you know, dropping F bombs, crazy, all that stuff. And we got, and I called the police and I did a police report and I did the whole thing. I even had a situation where a cop break checked me coming down Angeles Crest. I had a sheriff pass me on a blind turn i do this thing and he brake checks me uh at like you know 30 miles an hour coming down the crest and i went straight to the Briggs sheriff's department and went straight to their lobbyist in sacramento and said like this is the card this is the officer that brake checked me and like yeah so when that kind of stuff happens i'm not going to like sit by now there's i want to deconstruct one thing on your um on your thing about like, well, we might find in 10 years that all the social distancing didn't help. Then maybe in 10 years, we have 2 million people die in the US because of this. And they realize that we could add 2 million people die in 2020 in the spring, or we could add 2 million people die over the course of two years with social distancing. And in the end, it was the same. Social distancing didn't save lives. It's possible. But the one thing that isn't true now is that we, we do have like health orders and we are we do know what the country's trying to do and we are sending a message when we group ride to others that are trying to follow those orders that we don't care about them and i think we as a cycling community should self-regulate um we should discourage that behavior because of the message that it sends you know um will what we're doing now and all that stuff how much will that save lives like we're going to there's going to be researchers talking about that for the rest of our lives. So you had, um, and, and I appreciate that. Um, you had, you said you had, you checked out Gavin Newsom's recent uh, order. So what do you see as our phases here going? And and just a quick question of of thinking here. So, um, you know, it looks like now being outside is something that should be healthy and maybe helps fight this, mm-hmm. this thing. So is it a wise thing to, um, if you can still do social distancing, to shut the parks? Uh, and I'm I'm talking even just you know in, in national or uh, state parks or what have you. I'm not talking about you know everyone loaded up on the beach. Does that seem like a smart, relative uh, 
you know, result from, from the, the data in that sense? Well, I think there's a bunch of challenges in this. Um, one is like, yeah, parks are great to go to, but if what going to the park results in is a bunch of kids climbing on the same jungle gym and people not being able to socially distance, then you have to kind of like say, well, that doesn't work. That parks, I guess, aren't that great. Uh, beaches could theoretically be great to go to. Um, but if you're opening the beaches and all of a sudden people aren't social distancing and they're just like, you know, groups of four and five and then they're all like throwing frisbees to each other and it becomes this like petri dish, then they have to rein it in. Um, so if we're going to stay, I think what's going to happen to answer the first part of your question is that they're saying, you know, as soon as by Friday or this week, they're going to start opening certain retail businesses for like curbside pickup. If you want to go pick up clothes from a running store or, you know, or, uh, you know, do go to get flowers for Mother's Day and that kind of stuff. At some point, they're going to loosen restrictions um, in phases. I would expect it's going to be a while before we're going to see them loosen restrictions enough to say that groups of 10 can get together. Uh, that would be one kind of demarcation point. And then further on, like when people can do active group sports and then further down the distance, I'm a King's ticket holder, like a season <laughs> ticket holder. And I don't think we're going to see a King's game with fans for a long time. Uh, we're not going to see, you know, bike races. I don't think for a long time, unless we have like the secret TT unsanctioned races, like we have out at the, um, out of the canal. Are you, are you doing that one? Yeah. I didn't do the first one. I did the second one. Um, I'm going to do it tomorrow again. Good. Good. I suck at TTs. I hate yeah, TTs. Same here. Um, but uh, I'll do it for the camaraderie in the sense of something to look forward to. And I think it's really the gift that Jason gave us by putting that thing together. And I think what they should do, honestly, is they should do the river ride as a pursuit. They should just go out <laughs> right. and like send all of us schleps out first as groups of one and then let uh you know, one of the real drivers of the river ride come chase us all down. That that doesn't sound like a pretty good one. Hey, I, I appreciate you. Anything you want to plug, push your company, your your Twitter, anything that uh, is out there that you want to, <laughs> or I know you had a, a donation thing. Oh, yeah. Well, that was fun. Like on my birthday, um, uh, one of the things I did on my birthday was sent out a tweet and some Facebook messages and... Um, and was raising money for St. John's program for real change, which is a, is a homeless shelter um, for women who are trying to get out of chronic homeless. So it's like them and their children. Right now there's over 200 women and children in, in the shelter. They're fighting the COVID epidemic. Um, they're safe. None of them have tested positive. It was actually a, a charity that I brought to Rio Strada. When I was on the board of Rio Strada for those years, we would have a fundraiser at the um, Golden State races the night before. Um, we had a couple of years where we did these fundraisers. We raised fifty thousand um, uh, dollars for those uh, dinners that we would do the night before the Golden State races. For this birthday fundraiser, I did. I raised, I think it's almost seventeen thousand um, uh, dollars for the program from people in the cycling community, people in the political community, um, who uh, were willing to give in this time. And I think there's an interesting thing for cyclists in trying to do something about homelessness. And the reason being that we see it, like so many of my right. friends talk about homelessness, but they don't, they're not on the bike path. They're not like riding under that underpass to get to garden on garden highway from disco. 
they're not seeing homelessness in the way that we do. And I think that we see so much of it. We have almost a greater responsibility to try to do something about it. So I think that um, if there's people who are saying like, I'd like to do something to help people who are having enormous struggles uh, with this disease, um, donating to something like St. John's is a, a great avenue. All right. Well, I'll put a link to that, you know, the, the show notes for everybody, and they can they can reach it. And and if they want to reach out to you on Twitter, you, you're a very active uh, participant there. Where can they reach you there? Yeah. So my Twitter handle is Paul Mitchell, but the last two L's are ones, so it's Paul Mitchy one one. Um, and then uh, if you insult me, I've got other Twitter accounts I can bomb you with that random one. Were, were you the lady that, that were you also the lady that chimed in? No, no, no. But I don't know who she was. She was a, you, you know, that uh, pedal cyclery or whatever it is in uh, West Sac. No, I bought my cargo bike there. Oh. I bought my bullet cargo bike from her. And she's this like big kind of cargo bike, families on bikes advocate. Um, so, yeah, I saw that and I didn't chime in. But oh. uh, I just just on that, I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, she's like, I was like, come on, I'm making jokes here. And she was not taking it. Um, if you scroll through her timeline, the word Nazi <laughs> was retweeted over and over and over. So um, just throwing that out there, a eh, little hyp- maybe hypocritical. Anyway, um, Paul, welcome. Uh, it, thank you for coming in. Any any last words you want to say? You, I'll let you have the last shot. Oh, okay. I mean, I just I'll just get on my horse a little bit here and say maybe I won't let you have that last shot. There. We yeah yeah we cyclists kind of demand this kind of responsibility from those around us when we're out there riding to ensure that we can be safe and get home to our families. And um, we demand that everywhere we ride and for a good reason. And given that we are asking that of the community around us uh, every time we're on our bike, I think that every time we get on our bike, we need to be thinking about that as well, not just in the direct impacts that our riding could have in this health crisis, but also the reputational effects of us going out and riding in groups and uh you know having people see us we already come across as a community as this like elite out of touch kind of we're all shaved up in spandex and you know have our socks at the right height and um not everybody you know we oh come on there's a there's rules um but uh so we we struggle already with kind of the larger community giving us respect and um, I would hope we see this as an opportunity to, to do something. I honestly would love it if somebody said, hey, we're going to do the river ride. And the river ride is going to be, we're all going to come from our houses and we're all going to ride to Center General and we're all going to applaud the healthcare workers. That's going to be what we're going to do. I would love to see us do something like that because we do demand so much of the people around us uh, to make it possible for us to do our sport. Um, this is a point where I think we should be giving back. Okay. Well said. Uh, my only thing would be, and this would be maybe a suggestion for everybody going forward. If you see something out there, it's not see something, say something. It's if see something, maybe reach out to them uh, privately and, and get some, some context or um, help them with your position going forward. I mean, that's, and, and, I'll, and I'll stop calling people names yeah, on, on my podcast. I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing is that when I took that picture, I couldn't identify one person in that ride. I, I honestly thought there was somebody in that ride that wasn't. And I didn't know who was in that ride until I posted it. Um, and then somebody started egging me on about naming people. And it's probably a mistake for me to call people out in that post. I should have just kept with the. And also, when you look at the picture, it's kind of blurry. It's not like anybody's going to be called out in that picture. So 
Um, I think that uh, I think that's totally fair. But I do think that we should call it out when we see it. Um, and we should, I mean, I honestly think you with the form that you have as a podcast should be saying, hey, we're in a COVID situation right now. Follow the health policy rules. Let's not make it worse for cyclists. Let's not, let's not do things that are going to damage our reputation. Let's, let's, let's celebrate the things that Jason's doing, that, that other people are doing. And I also think that every goddamn team should be posting on their socials. We are standing as a team to not do group rides. And I honestly think that if I would appreciate if more teams did what one of the Berkeley teams did, which was put out a notice to all their, their cyclists that they're on that team. They're not allowed to do group rides until they're um, until this is passed. So I feel like people with platforms like you should be trying to do what you can to encourage the best behavior. Um, I do encourage best behavior. I also very much encourage people's own civil liberties, which is number one on my list. Yeah. Oh, imagine it's a tricky thing to try to marriage. It's tricky to try to marry uh, those two concepts because um, individualism in a time when individualism can spread the disease is uh a little bit more problematic. No, you know? and, and, and responsibility is never something that an individualism or an individualist should um, uh, over, have be gone without, right? So that personal responsibility should be doing something. And that's what my, my family's doing. Um, yeah. I'm, and, and actually, once again, I'll go back to the social shaming can lead to some of that uh, coercive, you know, there's peer pressure for your kids, right? Sometimes peer pressure is really good. Um, it can have them do the right thing that the parents would really want them to do. Anyway, um, you come to me if you get put in jail. I'll, I'll talk to you about it. Now, Paul, I really appreciate it. Um, we can have some little disagreements. I, I do want. I hope to, to never. Say. I hope to never come to you with an attorney. By the way, I right. will never come. Your to wife you with hopes an so too. Uh, no, my uh, she might, but I'm never going to. I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm very, very much uh, happy to uh, to never have to need your services. Although I'm sure you're an excellent attorney. Well, we'll we'll see if if. I'm assuming, and I, I I put out there, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of people, you know, in their lives getting divorced, but that's what I do for a living. So I'm kind of hoping for some havoc and mayhem coming out of this whole thing, you know, right? I, I need some clients. Oh, you're gonna get it. You're gonna right. get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One last yeah. thing, and, and sorry, this has been. I really enjoyed this. Um, uh, the courts, uh, they're all different in different uh, districts, but I'm now getting Sacramento has been sending out notices. They're pushing hearings out to like July, and they're Zoom. So. I'm going to. I'm going to have some fun backgrounds. I think for my Zoom uh, court calls now. I did. Um, I did city council meetings recently on this kind of social media. Unfortunately, they weren't on Zoom. They were on like Windows Teams, so I couldn't put up the funny backgrounds. Right. Um, but I did have a meeting with the Secretary of State's office where uh, I wasn't able to actually be on the meeting. So I had a video of myself just like looking interested and thinking <laughs> and looking down. It was like a five-minute loop, and I just ran that. For the whole time uh, when I was supposed to be on a Secretary of State Zoom. So you can try that, see if it works. Yeah, well, I, I, my clients may not, you know, they're there, they, they may not like that. So um, once again, uh, episode 175, thank you everybody. Check it out wherever it's, it is, um, podcast and our Facebook page, YouTube as well. Paul, once again, thank you very much. Maybe a little disagreement, but no chairs were thrown and uh, we never got to, to know if uh, Dave Kaus is your father or vice versa. So. I'm his father. <laughs> I am. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thank you.